By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded. My name is Scott Phillips, Head of Emerging Markets at Moody's, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Kelvin Dalrymple and Vittoria Zolli from the EM team in London. Now today we're going to focus on the possible scenarios for non-financial corporates in emerging markets at what is really a, a crossroads for the global economy. Now, since the beginning of March, uh, I think it's fair to say that downside risks to our baseline scenario Uh, for growth have certainly increased, with a high probability that tighter financial conditions and a reduction in credit availability, you know, could weigh on global demand. What we have is really, you know, continued strength in the US economy, sticky core inflation, and obviously uncertainty about the extent of stress in the global banking system. You know, all of this is coming together and really complicating uh, the path for future interest rates, not only for the Fed, but, but other central banks in developed markets too, and also, obviously, those in, in emerging markets. And while emerging market corporates uh, have emerged from the recent twin crisis of COVID and the Russia-Ukraine conflict in, in reasonably robust financial health, uh, I think it's also true to say that, uh, that you know, their revenue, profitability, cash flow and leverage will all still be challenged by any negative events emanating in, in developed markets. Now, Kelvin, Victoria, welcome uh, to both of you to, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so Kelvin, let's let's get right into it, and I, I want to ask you a question to kick things off. That you know, just to put you on the spot a little bit, but yeah, you know, let me let me phrase it this way: Are we expecting a global financial crisis style downturn as our base case for the macro forecast? Thanks, Scott. Uh, no, we don't expect a, a GFC style downturn as our base case. Although it's uh, very useful to consider a range of alternative scenarios with history as the best guide. So we do look at global financial crisis style downturn as one downside scenario. But in terms of our baseline, the global economy has faced no shortage of challenges in recent years. And more recently, the economic scenario has shifted with near-term financial stability concerns, posing downside risk to the global growth outlook. This has raised questions over the ensuing impact on emerging markets. With the level of uh, volatility in emerging markets remain elevated, our overall expectations of monetary policy, GDP growth, and the U.S. dollar are broadly unchanged. And thus, our overall expectations that financing conditions for emerging markets will remain tight is fundamentally the same. Bottom line, despite the challenging credit conditions in terms of corporates, credit fundamentals remain strong. Okay, no, that's, that's super helpful. So I guess when you when you look to the past, right, and I think it's always tempting to say that it's different this time. I, I still think it's useful to look back at history and, and see what was similar, what was different um, when, when thinking about what, what could happen next. So when, when you do that, you know, which time periods do you think are really most relevant right now? Let's me start from the first part of your question. And we look at two alternative scenarios, drawing lessons from three periods of previous U.S. recessions. The first is a 
severely negative downside scenario akin to the 2008-2009 global financial crisis, while the second is more moderately negative scenario akin to the downturns experienced during the savings and loans crisis in 1990s and, and 1980s and the dot-com bubble in 2001. Now, the impact on growth during the global financial crisis was severe, with the U.S. Uh, GDP falling by 4.3% from peak to trough, whilst in emerging markets, GDP declined by 4.7%. During that period as well, commodity prices fell by an average of 30%, including oil falling by 15%. Emerging market non-investment grade corporate default spiked at 13% compared with a long-term average of 5%. So the impact was more severe, however, in emerging Europe. Uh, that reflected close ties with Western Europe. Mm. No, it's certainly useful to go back and, and look at those numbers again. I mean, they were certainly quite quite um, dramatic, some of those spikes in the default rates and, and the falls in commodities, as you say. Now, was it the same in, in the SNL crisis? Obviously, I'm just testing my memory here. Right. So in our second scenario, uh, when we look at uh, a milder recession in the US, uh, it was more akin to 1991, which followed the savings and loan crisis and the 2001 bursting of the dot-com bubble. In both of these scenarios, the US uh, GDP fell around 1.5 to 2%. Uh, emerging market GDP fell around 1% and the commodity prices fell by, by 18%. So the spike in uh, and default rates was more severe in the 2001 episode, reaching um, 18%. But this was largely due to the 2002 to 2003 Argentine sovereign debt crisis. And the majority of corporate defaults in that period were domiciled in Argentina. So finally, um, to the second part of your question, while the scenario for 2023 will be different yet again, perhaps less severe, history provides us with a useful guide of what could happen and the severity of such impacts on emerging markets. Okay. All right. Uh, Viceroy, I want to turn to you next, right? I mean, I think we've, we've just painted a very general picture of what happened during these various recessions and crises over the last, you know, 30, 40 years or so. I mean, I think there's always a danger in painting emerging markets and, and I guess corporates in emerging markets with the same brush, right? I mean, w- w- when we look back at the global financial crisis, I mean, was it, was it very bad across the board or were there some differences? Well, you know, like the, the impact was not that bad. If we look at changes in EBITDA margins and leverage between 2008 and nine, they were actually relatively limited for the then cohort of EM corporates. But obviously there were significant regional and sectoral differentiations. So let me, let me break this down. At the sectoral level, the combination of weakened demand, deteriorating industry conditions, uh, coupled with low credit growth, had a large and negative impact on property, capital goods, and also commodity-driven corporates. Now, to give you some numbers and help quantify a bit the impact, for these sectors, margins fell by 6 to 9% on average, while leverage almost doubled. Well, obviously, there were sectors better able to withstand the crisis, such as the more consumer-facing industries, that so leverage remaining relatively stable and margin decreases of around 1%. Now, to get even more technical, rating trends remained uneven across sectors, with, again, property and commodity sectors registering the highest rating drift 
And by the way, for those that don't know, we define rating drift as the average upgraded notches per issuer minus the average downgraded notches per issuer. Okay. So that's, that's the sector level. So, I mean, I guess it's the sort of, uh, you know, more capital goods, property, commodities, you say, these are the kind of sectors that really saw the, the bigger impacts. What, what about regionally when you look at, you know, LATAM, Africa, Asia, EMEA, you know, what, what are sort of the differences there? Well, regionally, credit fundamentals of corporates in Africa and Middle East and LATAM were definitely most exposed. Obviously, the impact followed both the change in country-specific GDP and the sector mix of rated EM companies within each country. For what concerns rating trends, the ratio of downgrades to upgrades almost reached 2 to 1 in emerging Europe, which, as Kevin has just mentioned, emerging Europe took a bigger hit during the global financial crisis because of uh, close ties with uh, Western Europe. On the other hand, um, issuers in APAC and LATAM were relatively more resilient. Okay. All right, Vittorio, that was, that was really helpful. I mean, I guess one thing that I would certainly say is that, you know, emerging markets now are quite a bit different um, compared to, you know, the global financial crisis and obviously in the 80s and 90s as well, you know, generally you know, more diverse, larger, higher income levels. And, and obviously they've built up a lot of buffers, right? So I mean, even if we were to think about uh, such a severe downside, like a, a GFC-style scenario, I mean, um, would it be the same this time, do you think, Victoria? Well, the short answer is no. Um, I understand that it is tempting to draw parallels between the current period and the global financial crisis, but EMs have come a long way and will enter any crisis in a materially stronger position than at any time in the past. Um, EM right now have entered the current rising rate environment with generally robust liquidity, having undertaken prudent refinancing and liability management. Also, emerging markets are more resilient in terms of local currency financing and have accumulated meaningful foreign exchange buffers to withstand short-term volatility in financial flows. If we focus on credit, for instance, EM corporate rating mix has improved significantly over the past two decades. We have seen the credit quality of issuers improve during this period as more than half of our total rated EM corporates are investment grade. And if we compare with 2008, where we had only 35% of issuers rated investment grade. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it's, a, it's certainly a point that I find you know, worth repeating, actually. I mean, I think, I think we've, we've certainly, you know, gained um, coverage over, over the last uh, 14, 15 years or so, um, you know, more investment grade names, but we've also lost, uh, you know, certain Russian issuers, for example, also some property companies in, in China. And that's obviously changed the, the mix of the cohort, right? So, I mean, I think, I think all other things being equal, you would probably expect um, lower defaults uh, this time around. But what, what about, um, you know, leverage, for example, Vittorio, is that, how different is that this time around? So, yeah, so talking about corporate metrics, leverage is still somewhat higher. Uh, but at the same time, this is absorbed by the larger size and scale and also that diversification of EM corporates compared with 2007, which provides for a higher debt carrying capacity than in the past. Okay. No, that makes sense. And I would certainly, uh, certainly echo that. So, 
I mean, putting all this together then and, and really focusing on on default rates, um, you know, we're currently, you know, quite quite elevated levels, at least compared to historical averages. But where do you where do you see that kind of going over the next twelve months, right? Maybe under under a sort of base case, but also, you know, when when you've considered other downside scenarios too, you know, where, where do you see that going? So in a few words, we project default rates for EM corporates to fall this year, but to remain above long-term average as credit conditions remain quite difficult. So last year, EM corporate defaults jumped to above 12%, but this was largely driven by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the related sanctions on Russian entities uh, on top of the Chinese property sector downturn we saw in 2022. So we project the default rate to be lower this year to end the year at a little under 6% and to rise a little bit further in early 2024. However, in a more pessimistic scenario, the default rate could reach 9% or even 10% by the end of, of the year. So even in a more pessimistic scenario, EM defaults will be below those experienced during the global financial crisis and also will be below those in the U.S. high-heeled sector. Mm, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a great uh, way to sort of uh, finish on there because, I mean, if, even, in, in, even in a pessimistic scenario, we're expecting you know, the default rate to be lower than, than U.S. high-yield. I think that, you know, for me, that's a, that's a big takeaway. I mean, Kelvin, maybe just sort of finishing things up then. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, what, what a quite a sharp downturn could look like. Um, but we also talked at the beginning about, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s in terms of the, the magnitude of the recessions. What kind of impact would that kind of scenario have on, on corporates? Okay, we've talked uh, about um, the different scenarios, but ultimately um, the regional and the sectoral impacts would generally be similar, but uh, more benign. During the, the milder recessions that we have seen in the 1990s and early 2000s, US real GDP contracted an average of 2%, whilst EM's uh, real GDP contracted by 1%. So under a similar scenario for 2023, 2024, we would expect a more benign impact on emerging markets. Um, the current rate and mix, we, we think, also suggests a, a less severe default trajectory if the next downturn resembles, let's say, 1991 or 2001 recessions, producing a milder default peak. But for me, um, it all depends on which sectors are more affected and a higher impact on the banking sector, as in the global financial uh, crisis, can have a larger expected negative impact on the real estate sector, just as it did in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. I guess it just depends on how many of these uh, stars that we're concerned about align at the same time, right? Well, thanks a lot to both of you. Really insightful conversation today. Uh, And thank you for listening. Join us next time for another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded. And in the meantime, if you do have any comments or topic suggestions for us, please feel free to email at empodcast at moody's.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.